Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Hollywood Breaks. Uh, this week, Tim Thompson is on vacation, but we welcome back our favorite Hollywood breaker, Robin Geisen, for a wide-ranging conversation tackling such subjects as the recent uh, firings at Netflix over a Slack chat, um, the future of the movie-going business in terms of what it looks like with talent, and also Space Jam coming to a theater and streamer near you this Friday. All this and more this week on Hollywood Breaks, so sit back and enjoy. I don't know, what are we going to talk about today? Hmm. If only there was something happening in the industry. Whatever should we talk about? <laughs> whatever, whatever your little heart desires, let's talk exactly. about it. Exactly. So, uh, well, you know, I kind of want to give our viewers and listeners a little bit of context about how you and I met, and this will sort of delve into the broader conversation of what we're going to first tackle today. Mm -hmm. But uh, for those of you who don't know, for those of you listeners and viewers who are not former Foxers, Robin and I had our offices right next to each other on the third floor of Building 88, which at the time was where Fox Theatrical Marketing and Fox Theatrical in general was based. Sadly, no longer. It's now basically a Fox TV building and Fox uh, Theatrical and 20th Century Fox in general is not in the building anymore. So anyway, uh, I digress. But um, so Robin and I were right next to each other and Robin had this office that was kind of like a fishbowl. We call it the fishbowl because you basically walked to the top of the third floor and boom, there was her office. Everyone could just see her sitting there working and doing whatever. But what was interesting about her office was that she had this wonderfully comfortable red couch. Um, and the red couch was so very, very inviting. Um, I obviously spent a few like embraced couple hours embraced you it did on that couch um several other people also spent time on that couch um because robin to be fair that office became like the departmental psychology psychology office uh where everyone wanted to come and occasionally um i would have to step in and put up a poster board so robin could have her privacy because you know even even the psychologists need their 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 moments right I do remember when you did that. Yeah, you put the Water for Elements poster up. The Water for Elements poster board up so no one could see you in the office. So everyone was like confused. Is she in there? Is she not in there? And I'd be like, no, she's not. Go away. <laughs> oh, no, it was Moulin Rouge. Sorry, it was Moulin Rouge. I remember. Moulin Rouge. Right, 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 right. Uh, anyway, I bring that up. So, you know, that's kind of how Rob and I really started to get to know each other. We had known each other previously that obviously as assistants in the department, but that's really when we started to bond, if you will. Uh, and I bring that up because it's interesting. Um, the news broke yesterday about uh, one of our former colleagues, Jonathan Helfgott, who was head of research at Fox at the time that Rob and I were both there. He's now over at Netflix, and he was sort of brought into the news a little bit because he, a couple of his subordinates, three, I believe was the number, uh, apparently were on the Slack channel of Netflix. Um, talking some trash about Jonathan and the CMO of Netflix. And it's interesting because once that somebody saw it, alerted the higher ups. Um, at first, Jonathan defended them um, to his credit and said, well, listen, people just need an opportunity to gripe about what's happening. Yeah. And now apparently he, you know, was there was a lot of pressure on him and he gave in and they were let go. Um, and it's interesting because this sort of dovetails into a conversation, Robin, and I'm sure you've listened to a couple of previous episodes in terms of how these, we've talked a little bit about the cancel culture, if you will, 
and, mm-hmm. and how it's affecting creativity. But this is an interesting spin on that because it's more the office culture. Um, and obviously Netflix is well known for their culture. Anytime you interview there, they send you the culture deck that you have to basically swear to is that your is your Bible for your entire time at Netflix. But it seems like something like that would, would, would affect the creative process a little bit, because I think, you know, to Jonathan's credit, he said, listen, people need to gripe and that's great. Now the flip side of that is, do you really gripe on a Slack channel? Now, granted, I've only dealt with Slack in small doses at my last company. You should say what Slack is, because I don't know if like our listeners will know what that is. So Slack, okay. Slack is basically a inner office communication tool. Uh, It's the the modern day AOL messenger for those of you who are old like me (laughs) and remember the AOL messenger. It's basically the modern day and you can share work and collaborate and there's teams and you can separate out channels. Like, so if there's one project you're working on, there's that channel and only those people are part of that channel. Um, but it's all sort of recorded. And especially if your boss or company has an enterprise account, all that stuff is recorded. And I only know this because we were, when my previous company, we were investigating, um, potentially doing that and buying like a giant account because the CEO wanted to make sure that he could track any responses because we were dealing with clients and there were, we had some political clients. So there's obviously, you know, legal issues that were tied there. So we had to make sure we recovered. So I would say that I don't know if I would talk about stuff on that Slack, but I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of how you think this is affecting the creative process. I mean, you've been involved, you, you know, you've been sort of dealing with talent as well um, in your job at CAA. So I'm curious what your perspective in terms of how this might affect the creative process overall, just this sort of company culture of it all. Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, all I know is what I read in the Hollywood reporter yesterday and, um, Helfgott's awesome. He's a super awesome dude. I'm a big fan personally. Um, Likewise. I, you know, and, and I don't know Bazoma. I don't know the CMO over there. I haven't, uh, had the privilege of meeting her, but, um, I hear good things. Uh, but I, you know, look, I, I don't know what was said, so I can't, make an have an opinion one way or another and whether or not they should be fired because i have no idea maybe they deserve to be fired based off of what they said Mm -hmm. i don't know um but you know there's also this whole cancel culture thing is um it it is i think it's an impediment to not only storytelling and the creative process but just to us as human beings in general like Mm -hmm. who hasn't made a mistake you know who hasn't said something that they want to take back um you know, there's, there's this whole thing of like cancel culture and then accountability culture. And mm-hmm. I think both exist very much. And I think that like, you know, it's necessary to hold someone accountable for their actions always. Right. Um, right. But it can also get a little bit out of hand and a little sensitive. The one thing I will say with Netflix, like at least they're consistent. Like this is something mm-hmm. that they've they've been very open about and they've told you from the start that this is what's going to happen to you if you do it. And so you know, they, they, they did it. Um, again, I don't know the inner workings. Maybe they're not consistent. Maybe there's other, I'm sure there's lots of people who have talked smack on that system and yeah. aren't getting thrown out. Right? right. So, you know, there's, there's that kind of, uh, argument, I guess on both. Again, I don't know what was said. Um, but we're not, you know, we're not entitled to 
live a life without offense. If someone right. offends you, tell them. In fact, that's right. precisely when we learn. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's precisely when we grow. Our personal development, our character development happens when we are engaged with somebody. Um, never when you're coerced or beaten into silence, you know, like, mm. so, so that can also be toxic and yeah. can keep people from saying anything because they're scared. And then you have a culture in a workplace or in a world, which is what we're living in right now. And we're seeing where everyone's living in fear of what they say, mm. like, right. you know, whether it's the Netflix police or the Twitter police, like, right. you know, you've got people apologizing left and right. And, um, you know, it, intent matters. Intent mm -hmm. matters. Like, yeah, it's, it's interesting because Tim and I have talked a lot about this in turn. Oh, by the way, I should say, Tim, everyone is on vacation this week, which is why you don't see him on today's podcast. So just a heads up on that for all you Tim fans out there, he will return next week. Uh, but just a little aside. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because when Tim and I talk about this, it's all about sort of realizing the humanity of the person that you're dealing with. And so much of what we do in this industry is based on that. And so many of the stories yeah. we tell are sort of human stories in a lot of ways. And it's, it's, it, to me, I, from the Netflix perspective, you're right. They, they've, they've owned, they're very open about that stuff. Their, their whole mantra is if you can say it on Slack, you should be able to say it to someone's face, mm -hmm. which I, you know, I, I, okay, great. If that's your culture, then you embrace that. I, I think, right. In the reporter job uh, article, it's, it did mention that Ted Sarandos did take a little bit of a, I think, uh, a different tactic with when he hired um, the CMO. So that was sort of like, well, he may have been non-traditional there per se, but um, for the most part, they stick hard to that that hard and fast rule. But you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how this affects the culture there in terms of you know, conversations and whether people are going to hold back what they really think in the fear that, you know, if, if offense is taken or, you know, I, my, my philosophy has always been, if you get mad about something, yeah. take like 10 minutes before you shoot off an email, like I, or type anything like I, yeah. what I used to do in sort of this, when I would be frustrated with something as I open an email, now I wouldn't address it to anyone. <laughs> and I would just type what I was feeling about this shit, you know, and then I just let it, I just had to get it out. I just got it out yeah. and then I just yeah. put it aside and then it was gone. And then I just deleted it. Yeah. So I never put two, you know, I never, cause you never want to accidentally hit <laughs> and then you're in deep trouble. But, uh, you know, I, I wonder if this is really going to start to stifle some of the, you know, inherent creativity because it's just another thing that people are just going to be like, you know, are they, are they listening to my Slack channel now? Am I, am I, right. I, can I not say things on Slack? Oh, what about saying things in the lunchroom? What if somebody overhears you? And I think the other point of this is so, somebody actually turned them in. Right. Well, who, so th that's the whole thing to me is like, how personal is this channel? Can everybody yeah. see it? Right. If right. everybody can see it, then you should know better than what to write on there. Yeah. But if it's something yes. that's personal and you're having a, a personal conversation with, you know, th those three people are having a personal conversation with like two of their other trusted individuals that they have to vent mm -hmm. to and that they need again, like, like Jonathan said, like everybody needs someone to gripe to. Right. Yeah. I think it just, I don't know the context of how it happened and like mm -hmm. who told on them, like nobody likes a tattletale. 
Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> and it still reminded me of like my son running to me who, you know, and saying, Lily hit me or something like that. And I'm like, in my mind, it's like a, the better compilation of the, the culture probably would have been if that person would have gone to those people and said, hey, I saw this. Not good. You should probably cut it out. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, they they chose another direction. And I, that may be a direction of the culture. And so it's interesting. I'm going to be interested to see how this sort of affects overall, because you and I have colleagues who work all over the various different studios and every studio has its different culture. Every of the streamers are very techie, which is a very different culture from the studio world that you and I kind of grew up in and the independent producer world. So uh, again, it'll be interesting to see how this all kind of shakes out. And it, it sort of begs the question of also like in terms of all the creative of it all, like, just recently with, you know, Black Widow and, you know, their, their, their release and everyone talking about what, what constitutes a movie. It, it's interesting to see like what, how that's all going to affect. And, you know, obviously Black Widow did quite well in the past uh, last week, and it seems to be doing quite well now. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm curious, like, you know, cause Tim and I sort of ended the talk last week with a little bit more of a, uh esoteric type question in terms of what is a movie and what what are the new parameters of success and you know one of the things that we've also sort of been learning is that when talent signs up for a disney movie you know they think they're going to get their back-end participation deal and you know, now you look at what's happening and you look at like as i just talked about last week with the drop off from friday to saturday which was something like 40 percent, which is unheard of um, how that's going to affect sort of the talent relations too, especially when we're talking about, you know, the creative relationship. So I'm just curious what, you know, what do you think sort of the future is of the industry from a talent perspective in terms of how they're going to deal with all this new numbers and what constitutes a hit? Well, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, yeah. look, I think COVID has, um, exacerbated everything, right? Like everything has changed because of COVID and has been on the fast track because of it. Um, I do think a lot of this is already changing. Like it was already kind of in the, in the ether. It just kind of fast tracked it. Right. So mm -hmm. for talent, um, talent was already dealing with this kind of, uh, kind of thing because it was sometimes studios would pull their movie. Oh, my phone fell. Sorry. Um, Studios would pull their movie and send it to streaming or sell it to a streamer or just decide, you know, this isn't, we're not going to release this now. And so we, you know, we were already dealing with this kind of thing, you know, in the past, mm. just not as yeah. often. So now I think it becomes part of every deal as it's being structured. You're, you have to go in there and you have to see the future of like, this was intended to be a theatrical release or this was intended. I'm happy if it goes to streaming too, but like, these are, this, these are the parameters that we need to set and here's how we're going to make money. If this is going to happen, or here's how the back end is going to work, or here's how, you know, you have to have a what if scenario now for every single like outcome, because you just, mm -hmm. we don't know. I mean, right now LA just announced that we have to wear masks again, starting tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we yeah. were just talking about that yesterday or earlier this morning too. Like, that's going to change movie going again. Like that's going to change everybody's behavior. Um, and people, you know, we're seeing this Delta variant out there and people are getting nervous again. People are getting, you know, I had three friends who went off to Mexico. They were in a group of people. Every single person was vaccinated and three of them came home with COVID. And I'm like, you, you're vaccinated, wow. but they, it, 
you know, and then I'm like, which vaccine did you get? (laughs) 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 But like, yeah, and they each got different ones. So it, you know, there's no rhyme or reason for it. And I think people Mm -hmm. were still living in this like world of fear. Um, And so, yeah, I think as it relates to talent, um, on the deal making side, I they absolutely have to take uh, into consideration on every single movie that they do, on every single project that they do. What is the possible outcome for this, one way or another? Mm-hmm. And how do I make money if it goes this direction? How do I do it if it goes this direction? All of these things need to be discussed now. And if you're yeah. the studio or like a you know, look, Disney, Disney is lucky because they're Disney, and mm-hmm. they have. Disney Plus, whereas like, you know, we talked about releasing Black Widow there day and date, releasing Luca there day and date. Um, well, actually, Luca didn't even get a theatrical release except for the El Capitan, which right. um, I'll come back to. I think there's a fun idea there. Um, yeah. I, I think Disney Plus, I think they don't even know where what they're going to do with content. I think this is a testing period for people. Mm-hmm. And I think Disney is, because they're Disney, they're allowed to do that. So they're going to release day and date. Let's just see how this works. Let's see what happens. Let's see if we make our money back. Let's see how it does affect the theatrical process because everyone says it does. It will. It's going to ruin it. It's going to kill us. But will it kill Disney if they have Disney Plus? Because they're making the money one way or another, right? So it's changing. It's just changing. Um, And that's what I think people are, they're figuring it out. I don't think Disney knows what the next 10 years look like. I think they're trying to figure that out and they're testing what works. And I think everybody's doing that. Yeah, I think your point about sort of, this is gonna change the deal making completely. And I think what we're gonna see is you're gonna see a lot of filmmakers and talent who are gonna demand this has to be a theatrical release. And it can't just be a two week, right. you know, throw it out there and then toss it on the streamer um, or a day and date. Like there are gonna be a lot of people who are gonna say like, this is what we need, this is what I want. Or it's going to be structured in a way that, you know, okay, if it's going to be on theatrical and on streamer, then I want to, you know, be able to see the numbers. And I think another thing that's interesting about Black Widow, which we talked about a little bit last week, was this is the first time they've released numbers. And I think they're finally realizing that they're going to have to at a certain point because talent's getting a little antsy. And the last thing that, you know, Bob the Second wants to do is tick off the town and it's talent because then he's going to be dealing with what Toby Emmerich and Warner Brothers are dealing with now and sort of repairing all those bridges that they absolutely burned to the ground. Torched. Torched with their Warner Media announcement about putting everything on HBO Max. Um, So it'll be interesting to see. Like, I think you're right. I think. Disney's just playing, see what, what's happening. And Disney absolutely benefited from launching Disney Plus prior to the pandemic. They obviously had no idea what was coming. Right. Um, and they had it ready to rock, unlike you know Paramount Plus and Peacock and all the other streamers and HBO Max that launched either right before or during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they definitely had an advantage. What what'll be interesting to see again will be see if Bob the second um is really invested in this enough to say because what his tone in the past has been this is all temporary this is all temporary yeah but now obviously that with black widow they've shown this model can work and uh, more of the money is going to disney versus going to to, to, not yeah, not to the not to exhibition exactly and it'll be interesting to see because you know we have this comment yesterday from uh the cine cine world cine world ceo 
who basically came out and said, listen, this would have been a $100 million plus opening if Disney had just stuck to the Windows because Windows is where you make money. Now, obviously, he's going to say that because he has to. For him. Um, but with, you know, yeah, yeah, with, with CinemaCon coming up down the, the, the pike and uh, at the end of August, and you and I have been to several of them. Yeah. Um, and you know, sometimes they have a tendency to look at the industry with a little bit of rose-colored glasses. Like just two years ago, I think they were singing the praises of Netflix and how great it is for the business, which is laughably hilarious. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the tone's a little different when they when they show up in Vegas this year. They might all need a little bit more booze than they normally partake in uh, at Caesars. So what do you think some of the exhibitors are thinking right now? Because the idea, again, you brought up a great point, the masking starting up again, and LA is a huge market uh, for any movie. We have Space Jam coming up this today, which we can talk about in a few minutes. But um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, because you dealt a lot with the exhibition, you, you know, and in your time at CAA. And even when you were at Fox, you, you worked closely with the exhibition. So I'm curious, what do you think some of the rumblings are going on in their neck of the woods uh, this week? Well, I mean, look, I think it's it's a scary time. It, it is a very scary time for everybody right now. And uh, I think nobody knows what the future holds. I think everybody's, you know, taking it one day at a time. Um, but I would say, like, exhibition in general is, they love to hold on to the past and what it was. And this is, this is what worked for us. So we're going to hold on to this because this is all we know. And this is what we think works for us best. So why wouldn't you want to hold on to something that, you know, worked for so long, but it doesn't work anymore. And it's not going to work anymore. And windows have to change. And we have to redefine what that movie experience is. And to me, like I was thinking of Luca and, uh, you know, I, I love that movie. I watch it literally 10 times a day because my toddler's obsessed with it. And I hear Silencio Bruno, like all the time. That's all I do is Silencio Bruno. And it's so ridiculous, but I digress. Right. She, you know, <laughs> one of the things that, that me having a, a kid, you know, I probably wouldn't have gone to take her in the theater to see it the first time, but maybe an interesting idea for exhibition is don't stick to your windows. I have to have it before streaming because guess what? I would take my kid now that she's four years old, almost four, like, I know that she'll sit and watch that movie because she sits and watches it at home all day, every day. Like I'm scared to take her to another movie that she's not going to like. And then I'm going to spend money and then we're going to have to leave in the middle of it or whatever. I know that she will love to go see Luca. So why not, like, why not experiment too? If your exhibition, I think it's a fun time. I mean, look, we have to take risks if we want to get ahead. And maybe there's some fun things like, Play Luca in some of your theaters now. People might come out and see it. Like I would take my daughter to go see it in a theater because now I know it's a fun experience. It's no different than taking my kid to a, you know, dine-in movie um, where they're playing Ghostbusters from 1980s, right? Or whatever. Like it's still fun. That theatrical experience is still magical. Um, and that's never going to go away ever. Like I, I think of it. I think of it in these terms, which I was talking with my husband about this. And I was thinking like, everything's changed, not just movies, like supermodels, like with the digital age, everything is different now. Everybody can be a supermodel, right? Everybody is, has thousands of followers who like your pictures because you post 10 million selfies on your Instagram. But guess what? That doesn't make you Cindy Crawford, right? Like... <laughs> It, it does, you could be right. gorgeous, but you're not Cindy Crawford. 
Um, you can have a beautiful voice and have, you know, a million likes on YouTube, but you're not Lady Gaga. And you can put out a movie through streaming all you want. And you can put out thousands of movies on streaming, but you're never going to capture that magic that you get in a movie theater. So there's like, it's just changed. It's changed our business and we just need to think new ways. So I think it's exciting. I think there's fun opportunities for us to come up with new ideas. Um, and one of those like, yeah, let's play with the windows. Let's play with all this stuff. Like why be limited the way that we are? I think, I mean, I totally agree with you. And that's one of the things we do on this podcast where, you know, we, we talk about Hollywood breaking because it's literally breaking and it's needed to break for a long time. Many of the conversations you and I have had in your office have sort of been around sort of the idea of like, why do we keep doing things this way when it doesn't necessarily always work? Why aren't we experimenting? Right. And I think a lot of it is, yes, the, the pandemic forced a lot of changes on the industry that sort of had been in the, on, on the fringes for the last five to 10 years. I think there's a lot of people that are protecting their jobs because they're worried about losing them, which I, I totally understand. Um, it's totally. not great to be in a, an era of total uncertainty. Um, but at the same time, you got into the industry for a reason. And it was to make, to quote, to quote Tom Rothman, paraphrasing Beyonce, make good shit. And I think that's really where the industry is kind of falling short. They're so desperate to get all this content out and reduce churn and hang on to subscribers that I think they're often forgetting that some of the greatest movies were all total risks and just fly by the seat of your pants. Let's try this. There's no sure thing. Um, Richard Rushfield has said it best. This is a business of hits and you're not going to hit at every single time, but you got to at least try. And I would love to see some more experimentation. And, you know, Tim and I have talked a little bit about the Paramount decree going away. So maybe Disney and Comcast might start playing with buying some of the theaters, the smaller ones in particular, and making full on theatrical experiences from the minute you walk in the door and you buy a ticket, yeah. you are in a theater, an experience that you can't get in your home. Yes. And that really is what needs to happen. And now, listen, I, I, I think I, I've talked to friends who've gone to back to the theaters and some of the AMCs have remodeled and they've come more comfortable chairs. And but I think they're playing around the edges. I think it has to be more than that. Me too. Um, and, and I think and I think the studios have to realize that there's got to be a way to protect. I mean, everyone talks about protecting the theatrical experience and how important it is. And and that's all well and good. But we got to start seeing some some of some of the some of the actual um rubber to the road, if you will, to see like some real actionable movement to sort of really re revolutionize the theatrical experience and movie going experience. So, you know, to that point, uh, you know, we're coming up on this weekend, Friday, it's, you know, today's Space Jam, I believe is coming out this week with the reinvent reinvented with LeBron James. For me, it kind of felt like Black Widow was sort of like the apex of the summer. And now we're sort of looking at a little bit of <laughs> downhill until we get to the fall and winter, which barring any sort of future lockdown, it's just going to be crowded like crazy because everyone pushed all their movies into the fall. Um, I'm wondering what you're hearing out there and rumblings in terms of, you know, how things are looking for Space Jam. Again, I should say it's a Warner Media property, so it's on HBO Max. So anybody who wants to go watch it, you can go watch it right now if you want, or you can go into theater. 
So uh, Contra Disney's model of premium access, HBO Max, as we all know on this podcast, basically dumped their entire slate for 2021 on HBO Max. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are and feelings in terms of wh what we're going to be seeing when we come uh, come around Monday. Do you think it's going to be similar to, I mean, I, I obviously think it'll be significantly less than Black Widow, but um, it still has a chance to make some money. So I'm curious what, what your thoughts may be. Look, I think, you know, I think parents are itching to get out of the house, specifically in places not like LA or New York. Like you think of the middle of the country and, you know, where they don't have Maine. as many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you eating lobster like right. you? Lovely like, background. Yes. Where's, where's your sweater? Yeah, I've, I've got a little lobster lobster right here. I'm just popping it in my mouth when <laughs> in between takes. Um, and we're going to edit that out so nobody will see it in the podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. I regress. Continue. Um, no. <laughs> okay look i think i think space jam is um th it, there's a movie for everybody right so people there's gonna be some people who come um i it looks fun you know i'm i'm a huge michael jordan fan so for me like the best part of this quarantine was the last dance so like when i hear that they're remaking that movie i'm like what why you know like <laughs> but i at the same time like I get it. I get why there are so many kids who love LeBron James. Like he is, he's amazing. And, and I do think that this property like space jam in itself is an amazing property, or I should, I should pull it back even more. Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes is such an amazing brand, right? Um, mm -hmm. It has been around for what, since the 1950s, like a yep. really, really long time. Um, what frustrates me with this movie is looking at it where, I think it's, I think they're releasing it too soon. I think that HBO max should have spent some time, um, reinvigorating it through their channels. Like you can go watch every Looney Tune cartoon on HBO max right now. Yeah. Like it's super fun, mm -hmm. but who knows that? Love it. Who, but who, but okay. who like, they should be marketing that first and getting you excited about it because these kids, these new kids, they don't know who Bugs Bunny is. They don't know who Yosemite Sam is. Like they don't know why it's fun. And, and I know that these are old properties and they're old characters. And a lot of people are like, they're not relevant today, but their characters themselves, like Bugs Bunny is, he's just like a cunning, charismatic, like sly, funny bunny, right? Like that's, those are personality traits that anyone can have today. So make that relevant to today. And I would put more, I would have done a little bit more care from the franchise side, um, going into it, building up that, like just kind of groundswell under it before coming back with something so big and spending so much money on a movie like Space Jam, where you could have done a little bit more to prep it, I think, and, yeah. and set it up for more success. Um, you know, Warner Animation Group has all of these amazing properties, but they just did it with Tom and Jerry too, which again, it just kind of feels like a throwout a little bit when you could have so much more care and love, you know, than like, I think what they did with Friends was amazing. Doing a Friends reunion. And guess what? I'm watching Friends again. I'm binge watching Friends. It's like the perfect yep. 20 minute episode, like while I'm breastfeeding my kid. <laughs> like, <laughs> perfect. It is like the, it makes me happy. Like, yeah, it's joyful. There's no drama. It, there, there's nothing toxic. But like, I probably wouldn't have done that if the Friends reunion didn't come on. And then it reminded me of what I love so much about Friends that I wanted to go back and watch the entire, you know, how many seasons there are again. And I'm loving it. I'm loving every second of it. Yeah. 
I think there are definitely an opportunity missed here. Um, yeah. And I don't know if it's because they're cagey spending, uh, doing a heavy marketing spend, given the, the lack of a guarantee of a huge box office, which I get. But at the same time, you know, I, I had to look it up that Space Jam was coming up th- out this weekend. And you're, you're absolutely right. I was a fan of Looney Tunes when I was a kid. Um, I've gotten my kids into it, especially the older ones. Not necessarily the newer ones are actually pretty good. The ones that they're releasing now are actually keeping in the spirit of the original, which I love because they kind of went a little off in the '90s, early aughts, in terms of the 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 brand of Looney Tunes and what it really represented. They tried to go like Disney, and it's like no, that's not Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes is almost the anti-Disney. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious. It feels like it is a missed opportunity, and it kind of reminds me of. Um, Ray on the last dragon, because I remember uh, when that came out, there were a lot of parents who were like, I didn't even know this was coming out. Like, I, I had no idea this was out. Like, and this is Disney with a huge marketing machine behind it. So I think there's a lot of hesitancy right now because of the lack of a guarantee box office to really kind of do a push and not recognizing the opportunity, like you said, for some really good franchise management right. to happen in terms of using the Looney Tunes channel. And all the Looney Tunes stuff you have available on HBO Max to sort of push people to sort of be aware that the movie is coming out. So right. it'll be interesting to see like what comes this weekend. But um, you know, it's it's always sort of a coin toss in this this era of what it's <laughs> gonna look like anymore. <laughs> you know what I literally just thought of when you said this? Like I'm sitting here thinking in my head as we're talking, and like I just thought of a I mean, brilliant. I think it's brilliant. You know, (laughs) I think it's it's a brilliant idea. Um, But like Pepe Le Pew getting canceled, right? Yeah. But And everybody runs from it. They get rid of him. They're like, he doesn't exist, right? Instead, he's an animated character. You can revoice him and like make him like the, like you could go the complete opposite direction. Opposite direction. And make him like hilarious, like doesn't want to offend anybody, Pepe Le Pew. Like, oh, you know, like you could make him so funny when he appro- approaches women. Like, oh, is it okay if I stand next to you? Like, you know, just like so scared, like but being funny with it. Like you could do something so funny. That's awesome. I love it. Right. Like you could have fun with yes. it. Uh, that, yes, that's the kind of stuff that I think should be happening with all, like have fun. We're in the entertainment industry. It is about right. having fun. Like it's about storytelling. It's about connecting us as people. And like not erasing things, like stop right. erasing things. You know, you look at I, what, Gone with the Wind. You're going to erase yeah. Gone with the Wind. Okay, well, with it, if you're erasing Gone with the Wind, you're also going to erase the impact that Hattie McDaniel had on our culture. Like, right? You're going to cancel To Kill a Mockingbird because you the, it's being criticized because Atticus Finch is a white savior. But like, if mm-hmm. you watch the movie or read the book. And anyone, the people are, who are criticizing it are probably ones who've never read it or watched it to see, like, he doesn't save Tom Robinson. Like, and I know this, my favorite book, he doesn't save him. Tom Robinson gets convicted um, despite overwhelming evidence of his innocence. Like, but Atticus fights for him. So if anything, like, he's not a savior. He's an ally. Yes. This is a movie that we need right now to inspire. Like, that's what movies do. Movies, Hollywood and movies are supposed to inspire us. And I think often Hollywood confuses um, telling people what to do rather than inspiring people to do it. Yeah, I think that's what, we, we, you know, what we've really talked a lot about here is sort of the idea of getting back to basics and what Hollywood used to do and used to do well, which is entertain, inspire, 
Um, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. I thought about you as soon as you brought up Pepe Le Pew, and I was like, it's hilarious that a single column from the New York Times can end a character. Um, and you're absolutely right. It would have been hilarious if Warner Brothers had leaned into that a little bit and made fun of it a sl- in a little bit, uh, a slight way. Reinvent him and make him funny so people want to see that. Like Re- reinvented him, yeah. Think of him like a certain like I would. That would be a really funny character that I would love to follow and see it and like to know the history behind it makes me like it even more. Like I just think that there's something cool with that. And you're right. You're absolutely. Right. I, I I it would absolutely would be something cool and. You're, the Teal Mockingbird, spot on. You're absolutely right. I didn't realize you knew it as well as you did because I totally forgot you know the names and everything. My favorite book. Wow. Okay. All right. I love it. Um, so, yeah. I, but again, I think this, we're, we're tying this up in a nice nice little bow because we're wrapping it up here. But it sort of goes back to sort of a company culture kind of thing. Like, would anybody at Warner Media deign to suggest that in the, in the era that they would be sort of thrown to the wolves if they suggested it even on a Slack channel? Yeah. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, you know, we'll have to wait and see. And again, that's the sort of the, the, the sort of opportunities that are presenting themselves in this industry, I think are what keep me going every day. And I'm sure they keep you going every day. So, yeah. but, uh, listen, we've, we've kind of hit our, our bell at the moment, but thank you, Robin. It was great having you back. Um, we'll have to have you back again. Cause I would love to continue this conversation, but we can't, you know, we go, we're going to run out of tape soon. So, <laughs> We're such chatty Cathy's, Keith. We talk like Yeah, we are. We are. We are. Um, thanks, as always, to our behind-the-scenes uh, producer, Lydia, and Connor for all your help and research and getting the show in shape. I wouldn't look and sound as good as I do if it weren't for those two, so thank you. Uh, Tim, I hope you're enjoying your vacation, and uh, for those of you who are Super Tim fans, he will be back next week. So until then, have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you same time, same channel next week. Take care.